0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. And I'm Jess Khan-Nam. And I'm Jamal Dijani. Jamal, we have a great show today. There's quite a bit to cover. And, you know, we're going to be covering, you know, the opposition labor parties uh, in Britain, their recent decision to hold a vote, basically condemning any association with the apartheid regime in Israel. That'll be very very interesting. We're going to kind of run through that. We're going to talk about Britney Spears' father, who hired basically an Israeli surveillance black ops company to surveil his own daughter as part of the you know, uh, process that he had in having that conservatorship over her. And then we're, we're going to talk about a Capitol rioter, actually, who wanted to shoot Nancy Pelosi in the head. So lots of very interesting things. But before we get there, you did a really great interview with uh, Sarah Lee Whitson, who used to be with Human Rights Watch, is with with Dawn now, a new organization, and gonna talk with uh, Sarah Lee about the corrupt nature of the Biden agenda on foreign policy. The alleged kind of shift toward a more moral foreign policy completely fi- flies in the face of what's been going on with the dirty dealings with the apartheid regime and. It was a very informative interview. We're happy to share the interview you did with her. That's right, Jess. So uh,
1: I think everyone remembers that uh, a candidate, Biden, I should say, promised that his foreign policy would mark a major departure from Donald Trump. Yeah, right. uh, He'll put human (laughs) rights front and center of his policy and, of course, focus on democracy and uh, democratic regimes. Remember, he said uh, he won't give a pass to Trump's favorite dictator, Sisi. And uh, well, our uh, interview will show otherwise that all these promises just went out of the window. So uh, let's uh, watch and listen to Sarah Leah Whitson, the executive director of DAWN. President Joe Biden promised that his foreign policy would mark a major departure from former President Donald Trump, pledging to put human rights and democracy at the center of his approach to global affairs. Our guest disagrees. Joining us to discuss this and more, Sarah Leah Whitson, the executive director of DAWN, which stands for Democracy for the Arab World Now, a nonprofit organization that promotes democracy the rule of law, and human rights for all of the peoples of the Middle East and North Africa. Sarah previously served as Executive Director of Human Rights Watch's Middle East and North Africa Division from 2004 to 2020, overseeing the work of the division in 19 countries with staff located in 10 countries. Welcome to Arab Talk, Sarah.
2: Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
1: So in your article, you have a recent article, and I should also mention that it was co-authored by your colleague, John Hirsch. You said that the president's actions speak louder than his lofty rhetoric on democracy and human rights as autocrats cash in. You gave examples, which I really appreciate and, and, and spot on, of these autocrats and countries that the U.S. has military ties to, such as Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, let's talk uh let's start talking about egypt uh, first what's your beef with egypt
2: i mean what's my beef with egypt uh egypt uh, uh egypt's government is you know a reckless autocratic government that has terrorized the people of egypt uh by subjecting them to brutal abuses Uh, Tens of thousands of Egyptians uh, have been imprisoned, some for as long as 10 years, merely because of their political beliefs or association with the Muslim Brotherhood uh, or uh, former President Morsi's uh, Freedom and Justice Party. Uh, Civil society and freedoms have been completely quashed. Uh, The government's brutality really has no limits. It resorts to extrajudicial executions, particularly in the Sinai. Which it then tries to recast as shootouts, uh, you know, just absolutely falsifying evidence of uh, uh, young men it guns down in broad daylight. Um, and this, of course, is on top of the systemic and widespread torture uh, within Egyptian prisons that has led to a very high mortality rate, uh, disease, and suffering among those who have been unjustly imprisoned. Um, This is a government whose actions and conduct uh, are in complete contrast to the stated values of the U.S. government, to the stated values of the Biden administration in terms of standing for democracy, freedom, and human rights. So there is really no justification for the United States to continue to provide military support to this quite brutal government. And yet here we are. Uh, President Biden actually uh, promised the American people that he would, in contrast to President Trump, uh, who had famously labeled uh, President Sisi his favorite dictator with a bit of honesty, President Biden said no more blank checks to the dictator. And yet here we are with more blank checks to the dictator. Uh, There is no serious review or justification uh, for the over $1 billion in military support that our government provides to this autocratic, unaccountable, brutal tyrant in Egypt.
1: You say that actually the same game was played uh, at the State Department and the White House uh, during uh, Trump when uh, they played the same game. They said, we're going to hold some money. And, uh, and, and, And again, here they said they would... He hold, I think, $170 million of the $300 million military assistance that Congress conditioned uh, on Egypt, uh, you know, to improve basically the, its woeful human rights record. And then they just made the 180. Uh, what exactly happened? I mean, how did they kind of manage to pull this fast one on the American people?
2: Um, well, I mean, it's the same game that's been played for decades now. Um, and this didn't start with the Trump administration and it didn't start with the Biden administration. But the most immediate round uh, in this endless series of pretend conditionality uh, that is meant to improve human rights in Egypt Was that the US Congress uh, last year, uh, in terms of setting the budget for this year, conditioned 300 million of the 1.3 billion that our government gives to Egypt on some pretty significant human rights reforms, including the release of political prisoners uh, uh, and and a variety of other abuses? Um, What the Biden administration did effectively is waive. Um, the conditions that Congress had imposed, because the law under uh, which it was passed gives the Secretary of State the power to waive the conditions on so-called national security reasons, uh, waive those conditions, but impose new condition on $130 million of that aid. Uh, And the condition that was imposed is really such a massive insult to the Egyptian people. Egyptians who've been suffering for a decade uh, under the tyranny of General Sisi and attached it to the resolution of a single case, the so-called NGO case, um, which has been a now 10 year, more than 10 year prosecution of some NGOs for the alleged crime of receiving foreign funding, and which entangled a number of Americans who worked for NGOs uh, against whom there have been verdicts uh, in absentia, uh, as well as uh, human rights activists, some human rights activists on the ground that remain detained or their assets frozen and, and travel banned because of this litigation. So the $130 million now rides on the resolution of this one case exactly the same condition that the Trump administration uh, uh, had imposed uh, on Egypt, um, uh, which was eventually actually dropped uh, without any serious resolution. I think some of the Egyptian activists who had been detained were let go, but their assets remained frozen and they remain travel banned. So it's a failed strategy and it's a failed game. And I think as I've written in uh, Foreign Affairs in my recent article uh, on Egypt there, um, this is a, 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 a fiction that the U.S. foreign policy community, including the progressive advocacy community that I consider myself to be a part of, uh, have participated in and contributed to. Because when we demand that a portion of military aid Egypt be conditioned on certain human rights improvements, we are contributing to a lie. We're contributing to a lie that this government in Egypt is capable of reform uh, and is willing to reform when in fact it's not because Sisi's survival depends on tyranny and he is never going to give up his survival in exchange for a billion dollars in US military aid. I think Egypt's military defense budget is um, about 10 times that figure anyway. Um, And it's a lie because it suggests that our government cares about human rights uh, in Egypt and is imposing meaningful conditions on the Egyptian government, when in fact 30 years shows us that they waive the conditions all the time. In in a way, in
1: your article, you insinuate that Secretary Blinken is part of that lie. He flew to Cairo. And then they came up with some superficial changes and it's kind of a way, okay, let's certify it. They've done the right thing now. They're going to, you know, be nice to NGOs and so forth.
2: Well, there, there wasn't even that. I mean, when, when Secretary Blinken went to Cairo, there were no conditions. Uh, there were no preconditions. There were no post conditions. Uh, Secretary Blinken's trip uh, to uh, Cairo um, was part of an orchestrated bit of political theater, Uh, so that Secretary Blinken could justify waiving the conditions on the military aid to Egypt uh, by building Egypt up as supposedly playing this important role in securing a ceasefire with Hamas during Israel's most recent war uh, in Gaza. Um, It's an act of political theater because I don't believe that Egypt played any significant role in securing a ceasefire um, other than uh, holding, you know, literally acting like the venue for a meeting that took place. And in fact, the United States had no interest and in fact blocked for ceasefire resolutions. So to all of a sudden pretend that that Sisi played this important role in securing a ceasefire that America didn't even want so that they can then turn around and justify lifting the restrictions because Egypt is so important to regional security, It's all political theater. And I found particularly horrifying that while Blinken was in Cairo uh, uh, sitting across from General Sisi uh, and indulging him and and giving him this honorific, the State Department puts out this statement commemorating the, the slaughter in Tiananmen Square in China and bemoaning the cost paid by protesters there. While he's looking eyeball to eyeball, with the man responsible for the massacre of over a thousand Egyptian protesters, it's it's just it's mind-boggling this kind of uh, uh, dis- disassembly of of values and truth. Uh, and I don't believe that our government is factoring in that the American people and the people of the world were not stupid. We see this. We see their lies. And it's costing them their reputation and their credibility. They take us for idiots, um, except we see it, and we're calling them out.
1: Well, sadly, I mean, uh, the rest of the world sees uh, the hypocrisy and talking about uh, another uh, hypocrisy or an act of hypocrisy. As you know, an overwhelming bipartisan majority of the House voted last week to pass $1 billion in funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system days after progressives uh, succeeded in getting the funds stripped from a temporary government funding bill. In April, your former uh, organization, Human Rights Watch, released a 213-page report uh, entitled a Threshold Crossed, finding that Israeli authorities are committing uh, the crimes against humanity of apartheid and uh, persecution um, Israel, you wrote, continues to be the biggest winner, and sources reported the Biden administration, by, backed by some of the usual suspects in Congress, when you wrote the article, you said they were trying to sneak an additional one billion, but we know it's, it's a done deal now in military assistance, um, and uh, this too follows, uh, you know, a rash of gifts uh, to Israel. Uh, not just the four, uh, you know, blocked ceasefire resolutions, the United Nations Resolution during Israel's uh, latest bombardment of Palestinian territory, but a $735 million arm arm sale. So what do you see in this?
2: I mean, I think that, Where we fully expected the Biden administration to be as terrible as the prior administrations, not just the Trump administration, but the Obama administration and uh, the Bush administration and the Clinton administration, is with respect to Israel. Um, I think President Biden, even when he was a candidate, made very clear that he would continue to remain, in his words, an unconditional uh, supporter of the government of Israel. And unconditional means what it says, no matter what Israel does, no matter what apartheid it imposes on the Palestinian people, no matter what war crimes it commits against Palestinian children in Gaza, he will support Israel. So he was honest in, in making that clear. Uh, and he has made that abundantly clear during the term of his administration. We saw that, obviously, very clearly uh, during uh, the war in Gaza, where, uh, as, as as I noted earlier, and I think you just referenced, the U.S. was uh, the, the critical linchpin in blocking the U.N. Security Council from securing four ceasefire resolutions. So what a ceasefire resolution means is the U.N. Security Council tells the parties to stop Fighting. I mean, obviously, they're not always listened to, but it's a big deal. The United States would not even let the UN Security Council do this so that Israel could keep bombarding Gaza and doing that with uh, new American weapons. So the message to the Palestinians is very clear. We are going to stop anyone who tries to stop Israel from killing you. And we're going to give them a fresh batch of weapons, 735 weapons in the midst of the May bombardment to keep bombarding homes, media buildings, farms uh, throughout Gaza. Um, This of course was preceded by Biden's uh, very clear, his administration's very clear statement Um, that they would uh, not uh, rescind uh, uh, the Trump administration's recognition of the Golan Heights as Israeli territory, so formally recognizing their illegal annexation. So when Russia annexes uh, a piece of the Ukraine, Crimea, the United States cries about it being a, a violation of international law. But when Israel illegally annexes uh, a piece of of territory uh, that actually belongs to Syria, the United States says, great, congratulations, we recognize it. And the Biden administration says, great, congratulations, we recognize it. Um, And again, the cost of this uh, is, is, is very clear. This is why Russia thinks it can annex Crimea without anybody stopping it. When the United States says, we're going to do whatever we want, and we're going to make sure Israel can do whatever we want, regardless what international law says, guess what? Russia says, we too. Don't go preaching international law to us if you're not willing to respect, and in fact, you're going to stop international law from coming uh, into action. So uh, at least uh, I can say that the Biden administration, or President Biden has been consistent in that unwavering, unconditional uh, support to Israel. Now that $1 billion is going to the Senate this week, that request for an additional $1 billion of assistance, which they're again pretending has to do with Israel's defense in the Iron Dome, which you, know, you can read about and find out why that's actually not true. Senator Sanders is going to try to block it and he is going to try to have a debate on this. And he is going to try to put an alternative resolution that says a billion dollars should go to the reconstruction of Gaza. Um, it's obviously likely going to fail. Um, the Senate are, are uh, uh, no more uh, weak in their unconditional support to Israel than is uh, the House of Representatives. But it will be uh, the first time, I hope, that there's an actual debate about U.S. military assistance to Israel. When Senator Biden tried to do this, over the 735 million in the midst of the uh, uh, Gaza war, the Biden administration literally played a bag of dirty tricks to block that debate from happening in the Senate board. It's the first time in U.S. history where a senator had put forward a motion for disapproval against a proposed arms sale uh, to Israel. You're talking the
1: about that Senate, uh, Senator uh, Sanders.
2: That's right, Bernie Sanders.
1: Yes. Well, uh, I mean... I, I guess everyone knows that or, or knew that uh, President Biden, I mean, he's very transparent about his uh, policy towards Israel and the Palestinians from the get-go, but uh, he wasn't transparent about what he said about Saudi Arabia. So um, two days after, uh, you know, the whole the whole issue with Egypt, uh, the State Department gave Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman another pat on the back that what you wrote, announcing a possible $500 million in defensive military equipment sales to, to Saudi Arabia, um, basically military aid that will be used against Yemen and, and, and bombing Yemen uh, to, to, as it has been happening for the past uh, several years. But Biden, when, uh, when he was campaigning, he said he wasn't going to just give a carte blanche to the Saudis. What happened? He said,
2: lot, he said a lot more than that. Uh, President Biden, when he was candidate Biden, he promised to end arms sales to Saudi Arabia. He didn't say, I promise to end offensive weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. He said, I will end arms sales to Saudi Arabia. And he also said, I will hold Mohammed bin Salman accountable and make him the pariah that he is. Uh, and he said he would end U.S. support for the war in Yemen. None of those things have happened. None of those things have happened. The United States has blocked accountability for Mohammed bin Salman, uh, refused to sanction him, uh, uh, even after the report from the intelligence agency, the director of national intelligence came out, directly implicating Mohammed bin Salman for ordering the killing of Jamal. Um, And uh, continues uh, to support the war in Yemen, continues to provide intelligence support to the Saudi government, and continues to sell them Things like attack helicopters, which you know fantastically, the Biden administration are saying are defensive weapons. In what universe, in what planet, an attack Apache helicopter uh, qualifies as a defensive weapon? Just goes to show everything you need to know about why that claim that these are merely defensive weapons is an absolute joke. Um, and now, uh, to add insult to injury, to really just rub salt in our wounds. Jake Sullivan is meeting with Mohammed bin Salman and in Saudi Arabia now, on the eve of the anniversary of Jamal Khashoggi's murder. He is sitting, shaking hands uh, and, and being all chummy with the murder. It's, it's, at least if they could have waited to have that visit, to choose this weekend, to choose this time for him to have this meeting, it's, it's just unbelievable.
1: So all the claims uh, you wrote that the administrations basically, I guess it's successive administrations, uh, justifications for continuing the support uh, of these despotic governments uh, relies on the decades old and largely unquestioned claims about the United States' security interests in each country. And you go and you say, okay, okay, Aid to Egypt is necessary to maintain its support for the 1979 Egypt-Israel peace treaty. Is this true?
2: Well, it's a joke. I mean, I I asked the question sarcastically, and of course, sarcasm uh, is a dangerous thing to attempt in in an op-ed article. Um, But the main claim justification, in fact, the reason why the United States gives Egypt uh, $1.3 billion is the formula in the Camp David Agreement that promised Egypt half of what we give Israel uh, in order to bribe them into maintaining peace with Israel. Now, 30 years on, when Israel's and Egypt's ties and coordination and collaboration are uh, cemented, where they do joint military operations, where Israelis (laughs) provide military support to the war in Sinai, where Egypt shoots uh, African migrants dead who are trying to cross into Israel's border. And of course, uh, collaborates with Israel on sealing and strangling uh, the people of Gaza. Uh, They don't need American encouragement to maintain their autocratic alliance, Um, Of course, we've just had uh, Bennett visiting Cairo uh, and uh, Egypt-Israeli ties are stronger than ever. They do not need American taxpayer dollars uh, to support uh, uh, their, their love affair. Um, that, that is happening well with without us. The other uh, justification that's given in terms of America's military interest in supporting military aid to Egypt uh, is that uh, Egypt provides us uh, and our Navy ships with preferential crossing in the Suez Canal, of course, when they can get it to work, as we saw recently, and, and overflight rights for American planes. Uh, my response to that is those are uh Those are benefits that we should pay for on a transactional basis, ship by ship, Uh, as we pay for access to the Suez Canal each time a ship passes. So if they want to give us a gold VIP pass to go to the front of the line like you do in Disneyland, Mm -hmm. we can pay extra for that. That does not translate into $1.3 billion in military aid. The military aid, the significance of the military aid to Egypt is what it represents as a political statement. What it says, because Egypt does not need these weapons, it spends more than 10 times that amount buying weapons from Russia and France uh, and China, uh, is that the United States government supports the dictatorship of Egypt. We have their back. That is a badge of approval. That is a blessing. It is the political symbolism and the political messaging that that money represents more than anything else.
1: You also, of course, question the uh, USA to Israel, and you say it's a nuclear superpower, Israel has a defense budget of under $18 billion for 2022. And then you say, uh, you know, but needs U.S. military aid for its security. I mean, does it need military, U.S. military aid for its security with a, with, a, with a country with supposedly more than 200 nuclear warheads in the Middle East?
2: Well, no, I mean, obviously it doesn't. Uh, It's a wealthy country. It has a pretty healthy per capita income. It could afford to buy its own weapons, as it proves every year, with, as you noted, a defense budget 20 times greater than um, what the United States uh, provides. Well, maybe maybe 15 times greater than what the U.S. um, provides. Uh, A technological innovator uh, uh, that actually now produces and sells weapons of its own around the world. Um, the U.S. military support, again, is tied to the political process, is tied to making sure that the United States politically supports Israel as it did, uh, as it served Israel's interests by stopping for ceasefire resolutions in the U.N. Security Council. Uh, I, I, certainly, the United States has never uh, even claimed that it has a security interest in providing military support to Israel. In Egypt, they say, oh, it's for our own military security interests. They don't even make that claim for Israel. Instead, they more uh, bizarrely cite our values, that that America's values dictates military support to Israel, Uh, in which case you're left scratching your head again. Which values exactly are we supporting when we provide uh, bombs to an apartheid state that is terrorizing millions of Palestinian men, women, and children? Those are not my values. I'm an American and those are not my values. Um, And this is what I mean about no serious review or discussion about why we even give one cent of the hard-earned money of American people uh, to supporting the governments of Egypt and Israel.
1: I know uh, this is a subject that's very important to you, the death uh, of Jamal Khashoggi, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the assassination and our relationship with Saudi Arabia, and it seems the United States, I mean, I, I, I used to think it's, oh, well, maybe it's Donald Trump, but the United States is giving a pass to Saudi Arabia uh, under, you know, the Biden administration, an administration which, which came to power promising, you know, human rights and, and, and so on. What's going on with this when, I mean, and then again, talking about security, uh, they're using Yemen, giving all these weapons to Saudi Arabia to continue its catastrophic war uh, in Yemen. Is this vital to our security?
2: The way this is configured in Washington, the way that the administration and others talk about it, uh, is by saying um, that we must sell weapons to Saudi Arabia, because if we don't, then someone else will. Well, though someone else is already selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, but it's very clear um, that the biggest client for Saudi Arabia's weapons, are, uh, uh, the biggest client for America's weapons are Saudi Arabia. Uh, and so there is a certainly an economic interest uh, for defense companies in America to continue to sell weapons uh, to Saudi Arabia. We have to be very clear that that is the primary uh, overwhelming, overriding reason why uh, the Biden administration remains so attached uh, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, It is because it wants to continue to help American defense industry profit. Uh, Our government officials are deeply compromised with deep conflicts of interest in terms of their ties to the U.S. military establishment, uh, the military, uh, the military-industrial complex—whether it's our Secretary of State, our Secretary of Defense, or a National Security Advisor—go down the line, and you will see the conflicts of interest they have. Um, And I think we have to be very clear that that is the principal reason why the United States under the Biden administration has continued to try so hard to not offend uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman uh, and uh, the Saudi leadership to preserve uh, those arms sales. Everything else is secondary. Um, uh, Their notion uh, that that the American relationship with Saudi Arabia would come to a grinding halt if we didn't support the war in Yemen uh, is, is, again, simply not true. If if France or Russia want to help Saudi Arabia bombard Yemen, uh, then by all means, uh, let them make the same mistake the U.S. Uh, uh, has made. I, I really don't think um, that would happen. Um, but I also think it's not true um, that the United States' relationship with Saudi Arabia would suddenly end if the United States was not uh, supporting Saudi Arabia in the war in Yemen and selling them these Uh, 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 billions and billions of dollars of weapons. Uh, We can and should normalize our relationship with Saudi Arabia, normal diplomatic relationship, a normal cultural, economic, educational relationship. The piece we need to take out of it is the piece that harms the people of the region. And that is primarily the transfer of weapons that are used to murder, slaughter, maim, cripple, not just the children of Yemen, um, but children across the Arab world. The United States government's addiction to military sales, arms sales, to secure its political power and position in the Middle East is a dead-end, dangerous, and harmful strategy.
1: Sarah Leah Whitson,
0: thank you for coming on Arab Talk.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's the voice in the face of Sarah Lee Whitson, uh, executive director of DAWN, formerly with uh, Human Rights Watch. Jamal, I mean, she puts it very succinctly, the hypocrisy of the Biden foreign agenda. I mean, we, we know about all the disasters in Afghanistan, of course, but Biden and his foreign policy with Antony Blinken are cozying up with the, many of the same dictators, certainly with the apartheid regime of Israel and um is it really that different i think after this interview we would have to say how is it really that different from the trump agenda
1: it's not and that's why pretty much the title of the article and the discussion is biden's foreign foreign policy is business as usual so nothing has changed same dictators Um, You know, all that talk and promises about uh, bringing justice to Jamal Khashoggi, just to give an example, Saudi Arabia. No one talks about it now. Sadly, even the media, and and this is actually an important week uh, to remember uh, Jamal Khashoggi, by the way. Uh, And uh, the Biden administration hasn't taken any any extra uh, steps to... Censor Saudi Arabia, reduce our military uh, cooperation with the Saudis. In fact, the uh, Congress and administration has recently approved a sale, basically, that's just going to add more weapons to the arsenal that's of right. Saudi Arabia to do what? Just well to, to bomb b- Yemen. B- bomb right? Yemen. Exactly. And, 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 and so we, we base all uh, these things on strategic interest. Uh, like, how is Saudi Arabia going to help the United States' strategic interests?
0: But it's not clear that it is, Jamal. That's, That's what we've been trying to say here for many years. The old strategic interests would align the United States with Saudi Arabia, with the UAE, with the apartheid regime in Israel. And these strategic interests, Jamal, have failed the United States time and time again. Then you add Biden, who comes in and ran against Trump, saying, well, no, my foreign policy is going to be based on human rights and morality. And we find his his approach to human rights and uh, foreign policy is, I would say, in some ways for me, more bogus than Trump, because at least Trump put the cards on the table. He said he he likes dictators. He cozied up with dictators. He cozied up with uh, MBS. He cozied up with CC. He cozied up with Putin. So at least what Trump said is what you got. Biden, on the other hand... Trump, not only like dictators, just I should add, but he
1: loved their money. Remember, he squeezed billions out of the Saudis and, and the sheikhs in the, in the Gulf. That's when, right. When basically his only trip there, he came back
0: with money. Lots of money. Lots of money. So I can't say... I, I'm actually even more uh, disheartened Uh, disenchanted, uh, really irritated with the so-called Biden agenda, uh, because we know that uh, nothing has changed in Yemen. Nothing has changed in Palestine. Maybe it's gotten worse. And the situation in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria, you know, is deteriorating fast. So the Biden foreign policy uh, program being directed by Antony Blinken looks pretty grim right now, Jamal
1: yeah and then, of course, last week we spoke about the extra billion dollars that Israel received, and again, total oblivion to Israel's human rights record and its apartheid practices. Yet they receive more money, more right. uh, more weapons. Uh, you know, we talked about Egypt many times and its record on human rights. And then the the game they played in front of the State Department, Congress, oh, we're going to hold withhold some of that money. They they played that game, and it was meaningless because they didn't. They've done right. that also during the uh, Trump administration. Right. And so these countries, at least let's let's say in the case of Israel and uh, Egypt, they look at the United States as this one big cash cow that they can milk at any time, and it doesn't matter what they do. And I think it was very important that Saralia uh, Whitson mentioned, and she gave an example uh, about Russia and Crimea. Right. And 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 she said, well, you know, maybe people here don't care, but then when we try to lecture Russia about Crimea, well, what do you think the Russians do? That they, they said, continue, you, sh- you shouldn't lecture us, given what you don't do. Don't lecture us. We can do whatever we want to do, because we know exactly. that the United States is a, basically has a... A policy that's uh, that's a hypocritical po- policy, basically. And uh, y- if you let Israel get away, let's say with uh, uh, take a- invading and then annexing the Golan Heights, why can't we do that?
0: You know, but listen, with Crimea? they're they're absolutely right. And maybe that's a good transition point for us, Jamal, because even and we we discussed this last week because. In thinking about the opposition to uh, the immoral apartheid regime of of that Israel you know has and is, you know what is our opposition here in the United States? We have the progressive elements of the Democratic Party. You have the Squad, but it's still they're not able to really marshal much of a response yet. In the UK, in Britain, for example, their Labour Party, which is huge, it's a big you know it's. You know, a very large party actually is trying to take some action against the uh, apartheid regime and trying to pass resolutions in terms of calling out the immorality of the Israeli, uh, you know, kind of occupation of Palestine. So perhaps we could take some lessons from our former colonial uh, (laughs) lords, Jamal, in the UK. I would say it's a little... Better,
1: because here is the caveat. So um, we started by saying, yes, Britain's main opposition party, the Labour Party, passed a motion calling for sanctions against Israel for practicing apartheid against Palestinians. Uh, This was adopted at its annual conference in Brighton on on Monday. Uh, The motion also called just on the center-left Labour to cease uh, the UK-Israeli uh, arms trade, and and by the way, there is uh, a parallel um, demonstrator that has been going on for months uh, at a an Israeli factory in England, right. basically a weapon factory, and and they said they should stop because these kind of trades uh, violate Palestinian rights, and 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 because of also the illegal colonial settlements. So just to just take some of the uh, language of that conference, they said the conference condemns the ongoing Nakba in Palestine, Israel's militarized violence attack attacking the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the forced displacement from Sheikh Jarrah, and the deadly assault on Gaza. You know that's part of it. So what I'm I'm, I'm saying the this language is impressive. The language is the impressive. The language is impressive. It has passed. It's basically has not been adopted by the leadership. So that's why I said, wait a minute, a little bit, because we see, or we saw what the leadership did to Jeremy Corbyn right. when, he, when, when he was the they forced them out. labor They forced him out because, yeah, they called him anti-Semitic,
0: yeah, I remember so
1: that. So the motion also called on the labor to ensure that Israel stops the building of settlements, reverses any annexation, ends the occupation of the West Bank, the blockade of Gaza, Uh, brings down the wall and respects the right. You know, it's a long, long motion. It's very impressive. Like everything that you want or you hope that Israel will do because it's all part and parcel of its violation of human rights and apartheid practices. But then you have the other forces within the Labour Party, such as Labour uh, MP Steve McCabe, who chairs? Right. Uh, who's the chair of Labor Friends of Israel? Right, Labor's friends of and, Israel. Right. And he said that the composite motion is too shouty. Oh, I don't know that. <laughs> it's too angry. And I'm just I'm quoting here. And it's too one-sided. It's at, at and it's not at all focused on the search. For peace. This is just like rubbish. It is rubbish. rubbish you it's know. rubbish. I mean, this is like, you know, they always say, well, it's one side. Of course it's one-sided because one side is the occupier and the other side is the occupier. And one side. One side practices apartheid right. and the other one right. basically is the recipient of that Yeah, uh, But chabal but it's, it's the
0: same Israeli Hasbara grafted onto a MP in the, the Labour Party. So, yeah, I mean— you know the 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 current ruling party and boris you know boris johnson's you know uh they're clearly behind the israeli apartheid regime they support it they you know boris johnson has never made any disparaging comments about you know what the occupation of palestine of course but the labor party has made some very strong statements but they have their own problems they have their own kind of internal divisions as we have here in the Democratic uh, Party, because the Progressive Caucus, yeah, they're very pro-Palestinian, but they would never even get as far as some of the progressive elements of the Labor Party. Can you imagine a statement like that coming from even the progressive elements of the Democratic Party here? No, because it has to; they have to run it through Nancy Pelosi, exactly. and
1: Nancy Pelosi will not allow the language on on the floor. So,
0: period. I mean, but but I do feel like. Part of our process of running this marathon for justice in Palestine is using language and getting the narrative out and making sure we speak the truth to power. And so, when the Labor Party, the progressive elements of the Labor Party in the UK, are able to use that language and it gets out more into the public and it's spoken more in the media, that will start sinking in in terms of the long term change in the attitude about why is the UK, why is Europe, why is the United States, why is anybody supporting an occupying power like the apartheid regime of Israel? Why are they doing that? And so this is just like mile two in our marathon run, Jamal, that, you know, we have to give them credit for at least crafting this statement and getting the publicity that it did, right? Absolutely right. And uh, I should mention that uh,
1: the UK-Palestine solidarity campaign, that's it falls under this uh, Praised the this historic. That's what they said. This is a historic motion on Palestine, which passed at the Labour Party conference in 2021, acknowledging that Israel is practicing apartheid and calling for strong sanctions. So the other side of the aisle, they see it. That's that's actually it's a historic, um, you know, motion that was put there. And we should say again and repeat this for the millionth time, <laughs> that earlier this year, Human Rights Watch and the Israeli Salem published reports that said Israel was practicing apartheid, as defined by the United Nation. As defined. I mean, they looked at what defines apartheid. They did their work, the study, the language, the practices, etc. Right. And then you have Human Rights Watch, and you have the Israeli Human Rights Organization. And then... When someone at the U.S. Congress, uh, like Rashida Tlaib, condemns apartheid, you have uh, people like uh, I think Congressman uh, we mentioned, that think Schultz. no Deutsch. Deutsch, sorry Deutsch, saying how dare she, how dare she, say that Israel is an apartheid? It's the, it's the. Democracy, the only democracy in the Middle East, or I don't know, I'm just paraphrasing, or it is the greatest democracy in the Middle East. I mean, what do they do just, is this, do you think they just bury their heads in the sand? Yeah, of course. This is
0: just denial? Yeah, of course. Part of it is denial, and part of it is that Congressman Deutsch is a uh, puppet and a tool and a mouthpiece for the Israeli Hasbro machine. Why not speak on what's best for the United States, really? Let, let's just call it what it is. Is it in the best interest? I say no. And and one last thing on this topic, <coughs> they
1: always, whenever they talk about this, is a you know like about when they were uh, talking to def- about Israel defending itself and needing the billion dollars for this uh, iron dome, so called. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they say, well, they mention always Hezbollah, you know. That Israel has to defend itself against Hezbollah and Hamas. Just a s- small note Israel was occupying Palestine, Syria, Syrian land, Lebanese land, long before Hamas and Hezbollah
0: 100% ever existed. 100%, ever Jamal, 100% existed. correct, Jamal. Occupation of Palestine is 73 years. The Golan Heights is how many years has have they occupied the Golan Heights now? I mean, 50 years? I mean, how long has it been? Mm-hmm. And in and out of the south of Lebanon for decades until they were, you know, defeated. So, yeah. Well, they this, still hold some land in, in Lebanon, which is the for Right. They still, they still yeah, so, control this. Yeah. So, you know, Israel's occupation of foreign territory is nothing new. What is new is that the world is starting to wake up and people are passing... These resolutions, whether it's the Labor Party, whether it's Human Rights Watch, whether it's Selim, an Israeli, you know, human rights organization, hey, the the marathon, we're running this marathon, man. We're we're in mile two, so let's we got to keep running. That's that's the bottom line. My hats off, go we to. Keep, we
1: gotta keep running. You've been you're listening <laughs> to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, eighty nine point five FM. On this topic, uh, before we move to another one, just uh, and usually we don't talk about entertainment uh, news and, well, and that, you know why not you know uh, why you not? Know, Brittany Spears uh, has been in the headlines. I think just yesterday, finally, a Judge said to her father, "That's it, enough is enough. You're no longer the conservator." I mean, right. this is news. But part of this whole. Huge news stories, you know, in a little short story squeezed right there that apparently her father was using the sleazy Israeli security form, Black Box Security. Now they like to use their initials, BBX, uh, to put his daughter under intrusive surveillance. Uh, This is according to a former. Black Box employee. This is from an article in New York Times. They're working on a documentary titled "Controlling Brittany Spears right. and then you'll find in the documentary just. Yes, and and by the way, they rely on 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 his evidence and other other uh, you know evidence as well. But this guy, he's a 30 year old Alex Vlasov who served as BBX's operations and cybersecurity manager and executive assistant to the CEO. Wow. So you're not talking about just some disgruntled employee, talking somebody who has depth and knowledge into their operation system. And uh, they were bugging her bedroom, her bedroom, bathroom, Basically, telephone, and he was asked, yeah. and he wa- and telephone, of course, telephone, internet. He was asked to delete 180 hours worth of recordings from a listening de- device that was planted in Spears' bedroom from a portable USB drive that was basically planted there. Instead, yes, he made a copy to preserve the evidence nice. and handed it over to the New York Times. So, nice. so we're, nice. you know, we're, this is a very credible story. Well, just a reminder to everyone: Black box also was used by rapist Harvey Weinstein. That's right. To go to after. intimidate. To, to go after. To the, the ladies who were basically accusing him of rape. That's and, right. and harassment, sexual that's harassment, right. etc. So this is why I call it a sleazy operation, because apparently Harvey Weinstein and God knows who else uses it in Los Angeles, Hollywood, New York to yeah, spy on and, American and, citizens. And,
0: you know, by the way, the one of the things that is, I mean, there, everything is wrong about this, that uh, uh, her Britney Spears father would surveil his own daughter um, is bad enough, would put the surveillance in her bedroom, in her bathroom everywhere is unconscionable. It goes even further, Jamal. They surveilled and were able to capture confidential attorney client conversations that Britney Spears was having with her with her lawyer And that just, you know, takes it to a whole nother level that they were spying and getting information on the way Britney Spears and her lawyer were kind of negotiating and discussing ways in which she could extricate herself from this conservatorship. So, you know, uh, the Israelis never miss an opportunity to to well uh, let's just say it, occupy and control not just countries and foreign land but individuals' own personal rights Jamal they're an equal opportunity occupier, whether it's land or people's personal lives and uh listen it 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 goes all the way. What can I say
1: well, uh we're going to end the show on a last story. I'm going to ask a question Jess. <laughs> and if you or I walked in uh Capital basically, building, and said that, and this is, please, I don't want anybody to misconstrue this. <laughs> because You're quoting somebody. This is, somebody. A, this is a, exactly, this is a hypothetical question. And, and, and one of us said that we're going to shoot Nancy Pelosi in the friggin' brain, and I'm here,
0: I'm quoting and do you think a judge will give you a misdemeanor for that? Well, I could tell you, you and I would be sitting in solitary confinement in Guantanamo Bay right now, if either one of us would go to the cap- just go to the Capitol probably right now. Let alone make a threat of grave bodily injury. Most people who make threats of grave bodily injury not only get arrested, but there are special laws that govern, you know, elected officials and. To get a misdemeanor instead of, like, severe, long-term, felonious jail time is unbelievable to me. It's really kind of shocking. So this Dan Bancroft,
1: uh, you know, she, eight months, nearly eight months uh, after she was arrested on January 29th, and uh, this is when she was basically given that uh, uh, plea deal, which is a uh, a misdemeanor, Authorities said that she was wearing a red "Make America Great Again" ski cap style, a ski cap style hat, and she went with this other uh, um, woman, Santos Smith, uh, and also was uh, wearing a "Make America Great Again" baseball hat when they entered the Capitol along with other protesters. And they were bragging; they were filming themselves. You know, I always say these people are not the brightest. Uh, you know, and. <laughs> Bunch in the room, so they they have all the evidence. So so ba- so Bancroft, who was filming, said in the video, "This is you know, we broke into the Capitol, we got inside, we did our part, we were looking for Nancy to shoot her in the friggin' brain, but we did not, we didn't find her." Unbelievable. This is in the criminal complaint that was released just yesterday. I, I, that
0: she made this. I can't believe that Nancy Pelosi and the entire Congress isn't in in arms. Ha, you know, they
1: were charged. She was charged with the misdemeanor, including for entering entering a restricted building or grounds, disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct—that someone who's drunk and walks into a mall—you charge them with disorderly right. conduct. So I think not for someone who's making threats of grave bodily injury. Yeah. Well, I think the the Speaker of Congress of the House, the Speaker of the House, the third most powerful person in the United States. Well,
0: arguably even in the world, you might say. Yeah. So part of what's happening is that these people are cutting plea deals. The one-six group that have done these things. And in order to get a plead like that, Jamal, what I've heard is that you have to have substantial information that will help send other people to jail. So the idea is that she is giving the FBI and the Justice Department additional information so that they can so-called bring to justice, if they can, you know, people who did worse things. I don't know what's worse than making a threat like that, but... uh, you know, this is going to play out. The Congress is, get, is starting to subpoena people. They're going to do interviews. This this uh, attempted coup d'etat on January 6th, you know, this investigation is going full steam ahead. Well, kidding aside, as we started the show, if she was Muslim, what would have happened? If she was a woman of color, what would happen? If she was... Anything other than a white chick, what would happen if she did this? I mean, people of color and Muslims are not going to get a plea deal, no matter what they do. So yeah, this is the asymmetry of of justice in this country. Once again, even under the Biden administration, uh, rearing its ugly head. You've been listening to
1: Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. You'll find all our shows there. And we will talk to you
0: next week. See you next week.